Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, good morning. It's good to have you here. Really glad that you guys are here. We are continuing our series uh, through the book of Nehemiah. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. Listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And so that means no matter where you're walking in, our desire is simply to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps whatever that might mean for you. Now, before we get into uh, the content of today, I promise it's going to be helpful and super encouraging and maybe a little bit challenging. We might flip those, maybe really challenging and a little encouraging. We'll see how it lands. But, but uh, I just want to take a second. Last week, um, we spent some time talking about being salt and light. And um, if you're really interested, I did this really poor dance move on stage that you can go check on our YouTube channel. So YouTube channel, podcast, we talked about being salt and light um, as a church in and for our city. And so this Boko Community Night is really an intentional environment that we create, kind of this third space. It's not a church. It's not a city group. It's a third space. We rent out the entire bar. Our drinks are on the house. There's alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages available. And it's an incredible way to invite people into community, especially our friends who maybe wouldn't come with you on a week to a weekend gathering or in a group, um, but maybe they're spiritually interested. And so we just want to encourage you. When we talk about being salt and light, these events are catalysts for you. And so on the way out the door, you're going to receive invites for you to use. It's also on our website, social media platforms. And so you can use all of that to intentionally engage those people in your circles of influence and love them well. The same thing with that that movie night. It's, it's, yes, it's for you, but at the end of the day, we say it often, uh, if, you, if you're a guest here at City Church, this is not for you, but if this is your family, you call this place home, the second you join the team here at City Church, you become a member at City Church, it's not about you anymore. And that's like a really good place to be for our souls. And so you and I have the privilege of living on mission where we live, work, and play. And so the movie night is awesome. There's a, we're going to have Boko Ciders bringing drinks out that evening too, popcorn for the kids, glow sticks for the kids that the adults can steal, you know, all of that. It's going to be great. Um, it's also just terribly difficult because you do a movie night in the summer and the sun doesn't go down until like nine o'clock. And so just buckle up for a really, really late night and kids kind of just falling asleep in their chairs. It's, it's perfect. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's my commercial for all of the things coming up. We're really excited to serve our city over the next couple of weeks. Also, I just want to give some honor where it's due. He did not ask for this, but sitting here in the front row is my great friend, Matt Patrick. He is the pastor at, at the well here in Boulder. Um, and uh, when we moved to Boulder to plant City Church, 39 out of the last 40 churches that had started planted in Boulder had already closed their doors. So the only church left standing after a decade of church planting was the well. And um, Matt Patrick is an incredible friend, but also has been a great mentor to me. Um, and, and honestly, City Church wouldn't be here without the well. And so we pray for them often. We celebrate over them. They just bought a building for their church after 10 years in South Boulder. Go God for that. It's amazing. Um, and um, he's on sabbatical, and so he came to judge our services. To, I'm just kidding. Um, he, he's here to be invested and encouraged in, and, and uh, he, he's invested in our church in a lot of different ways. But I just want to give honor where it's due. Grateful for you guys, and we pray over the well often. And uh, they're an incredible, incredible light here in our city. So uh, 
just because I don't know where this quote came from, I'm going to give it to Matt this morning. Here's a quote that one of my mentors, we're just going to say he did it um, because he's here in the room and it works. But one of my mentors has said this statement to me many times and uh, it's been sitting on me all week. The most difficult person that you will ever have to lead is yourself. Wisdom right there sitting in the front row. (laughs) But seriously, I, I've, been, I've been sitting in this all week, and you know, we live in a culture uh, that loves kind of the oblivion, distraction, numbness phase of kind of do life, um, um, maybe be really critical of others around us, and you know, we're really good at throwing rocks, but then that whole leading self thing is a challenge that we try to avoid. The most difficult person that you will ever have to lead is yourself. You ever feel that? Like when you really pause and, and look at what's going on on the inside, like that, that person that you look in the mirror at every morning is this weird package of like impressive strengths mingled with like massive insecurities and wounds and inconsistencies. And then they're kind of all consciously and unconsciously wrapped up in this projection that we give to others of what we think that they want to see or what they, we think that they need or what we think we should be. And then you know, there's this weird kind of fully conscious awareness that if we really sit in it for a minute, that, that we, we know we're kind of concealing our brokenness, that, that when we look inside, that there's this brokenness inside of us that if not restored, it has the potential to be the undoing of friendships, of, of families, of marriages, of children, of our careers, of churches, and of ourselves as a whole. You guys feeling encouraged yet? Okay, yeah, right. There's this tension that we we live in that genuinely, man, the hardest person that you and I will ever have to lead is ourselves. Peter Scacero, uh, uh, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, when you join the team here at City Church, you become a member. We give a couple books to you because one one of the premises here is before we want anything from you at City Church is what we want for you. Um, and, And so one of the tools we put in your hand is the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book that he wrote. He talks about your shadow, The definition he gives is this kind of accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape our behaviors. And so these distortions that we're talking about, this brokenness that we struggle with, that desire to change that kind of never culminates, Jesus would kind of simplify that and call it sin, this deep-rooted issue that literally he came to save us and set us free from. So that's the good news. Um, but at the beginning of the year, we, we started this series kind of talking about what it means to follow Jesus and, and specifically what it means to, to experience deep transformation, not just on the outside, but from the inside out. And so we, we, we've been wrestling with this process throughout the entire year, and I'll bring us, back, bring, bring us back to it today. What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? And if you're not a Jesus follower in the room, listen, this is a safe place for you, and you're welcome, and we invite you to wrestle with what it actually means to follow Jesus. And here's what we've been breaking it down to all year. Number one is to be with Jesus. It's first an invitation into relationship, not to perform for Jesus, not to go to church and be a good person and hopefully all your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff, but to be with Jesus, to respond in faith to what he did on the cross for our sins and rose again, but a relationship that then begins to flesh it out. Be with Jesus and then become like Jesus and ultimately it culminates in doing what Jesus did. Now, 
Here, here's, here's the interesting thing is the being with Jesus, honestly, we did a survey across our church, by the way. Thank you guys for everyone who participated in that. The being with Jesus part, we spent a lot of time on throughout the year, and like over 70% of our church is actually really in a good re- rhythm of being with Jesus kind of daily, intimately, fleshing out that relationship. It's actually really encouraging our staff. We were like looking at it like, man, this is awesome. Like we're winning in this area. But how many of you know like, like that rhythm doesn't always result in becoming like some of you have been following Jesus for, you know, three weeks and three months and three years and 30 years. And it's sometimes you can look up and not experience change in your life for a long time. And you're like, what's up with that? I mean, every now and then, right, like three weeks and Jesus is changing all kinds of stuff. And you're like, yeah, this is great. And then other times, like nothing is changing and it's frustrating. But becoming like Jesus assumes, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, it assumes that we need to change. It assumes that you're not Jesus yet. Not that you'll ever be Jesus, I suppose, but in his image, you know what I'm saying, right? But I, here's what I know about you, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, is that you want to change. Odds are you, you try to change, but sometimes you're not successful, um, or you have like some good moments that have setbacks, or there's like external progress without that internal cha- transformation. And so, so to help kind of build this picture of where we're going today, um, I went camping this weekend with some friends and our family. We had a great time, and we did some paddle boarding. Or to the super elite in Boulder, it's called SUP boarding, right? How many of you guys know what SUP boarding? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost cool. It's like we're almost there. So stand up paddle boarding, right? We went, we're out Turquoise Lake near Leadville, and we're, we're paddle boarding, and it's awesome. And my kids, for the first time, are on paddle boards, and they're excited, four and six years old, and we're out there, and we talked about, you know, lake sharks and things like that that are out there, and everybody's excited. It's great. And we get out there, and uh, we had this camp host guy. Uh, his name was Rick. Um, but, but he's now affectionately known Ranger Rick because he really likes his rules. Um, Ranger Rick was a great guy, but one of the things he did tell us was in the process, he said, hey, get out on the water early on Turquoise Lake because about 10.30, the wind rolls in and it gets pretty choppy out there. And we're like, cool. And sure enough, on the money, every day at 10.30, the wind picks up and all of a sudden, subboarding is now a challenge. And so me and the boys, we get out on the water and we're floating out in the middle of turquoise and going as far as we can. And we turn around and, and, and we look back and Brittany and Dan were with us and they're standing on the, the shoreline where we started and we're way over here. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa. like we got to get back there and the wind's blowing against us. And so then it's like a massive battle back to Brittany and Dan, but at least we had kind of bearings on where we were. And, and I think a lot of times life is like that that you and I kind of get out, we're doing the rhythms of life, it's summer, we're just kind of in the grind, and then you look up, and all of a sudden you're like, not where you thought you were, you're not where you thought you would be, you're not where you wanted to be in life, and I think it also speaks to our spiritual condition when it, ta- when it comes to like this, if life is a subboard. <laughs> At some point this analogy is going to break down, and you can, you can judge me for it, but it's going it's to it's be helpful, I promise. I read this story earlier this week of Andy Stanley, one of my favorite pastors and, and leaders. He was talking about when he was a kid, they would go to the beach, and his dad would set up a pile of coconuts on the beach. And the pile of coconuts was kind of their, their bearing point, if you will. They'd be playing in the water, and you know, the kind of tide is pushing them down. And if they ever looked up and they had passed the coconuts, they were supposed to get out of the water, come back to that area, and then they could get back in the water and play. Otherwise, you, you look up and you have drifted and drifted and drifted and drifted. And so like this week, I, I had this coconuts analogy in my head all week, and I'm like, Brittany and Dan were, were our coconuts. Like, they were my coconuts on the... And, and, and our spiritual condition is, is kind of like this, except it's not this calm turquoise lake in the mountains. 
We're on subboards in the ocean, <laughs> and the waves are brutal, and there's lots of drift, and we kind of look up, and there's a lot of pressure against us. And, and part of it is, like, what, what are the coconuts on the beach that help us keep our bearings as city church? So my, my aunt lives in Hawaii, and last year, I think it was last year, sometime, her and a friend were out on some paddle boards in the ocean, and all of a sudden, the, the winds changed, and the, everything kind of got aggressive, and before they knew it, they were out at sea couldn't see the land anymore. No phones, no service, great white sharks everywhere, lost an arm. Okay, not that far, but like, that, that's a panic moment, guys. I, I, right, all of a sudden, and, and there's maybe one person knew that they were out there, but they weren't actively watching them. And so it was like hours, I believe, before someone realized that they were gone and they sent a rescue team. And you talk about scary holy moly. I, I don't know. I don't know how you would feel about that, but for me, I feel like that's kind of like our spiritual condition sometime. sometimes, plural, um, that, that we're, we're in this sea of torrent trying to follow Jesus, and, and there's this constant pressure, and we're drifting, and, and what Jesus does is kind of cool. Jesus shows up, and he kind of puts some coconuts on the beach, right? Here's your bearings. Here, here's what it looks like to be fully human, to live into the purposes and plans of God for your life, and we look at those coconuts and we're like, yeah, but all of a sudden the wind and the waves and the cultural pressures and life in general and everything we grew up with and the things that are dealt with and undealt with, conscious and unconscious, we are drifting and no matter how hard you paddle and no, how, no matter how much you yell, you are not getting to those coconuts. Enter Jesus, who is amazing and doesn't just put some coconuts on the beach and say, hey, hope you can get there. Too bad if not, sorry, sharks for dinner. I got you, little, little Drake snack out. No, right, what is it? Jesus comes out and he actually rescues us. Jesus was the rescue team, if you will, but he doesn't just like get us off the paddleboard, get us on land and say, it's all safe, cool, just like live your life now. But he teaches us a new way to paddleboard. I was telling Seth that like my, my, the best idea of a paddleboard that I have is if we could add like a trolling motor on the front of it. So like, that way, you know, just in case things get out of hand, you got a little bit of extra juice. Right? So Jesus shows up, he saves us and sets us free. I know this is breaking down, just go with me. And then when he saves us and sets us free, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is literally the power, the trolling motor on your subboard. Oh, come on, this is, it's almost a good analogy, guys. Jesus is awesome. You guys with me on this? Okay, you guys feel the pressures and the drift? Oh, that was drawn out. We'll keep going, I know that was a lot. Jesus is amazing, and here, here's the deal. What compels us to follow Jesus, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to show you this. First John um, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Th this is the love of God that was made manifest among us, speaking to Jesus being born in, in the flesh, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him properly. Sup. <laughs> In this is love, not that we have loved God, not that we reached the coconuts on the shore, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that word can be translated substitution for our sin, that Jesus was in our place for our sins, died the death that we deserve, rose again like we can't to give us new life and new way of being fully human in relationship with God and the world. And so there's this amazing reality of following Jesus, to be with Jesus, right? We're out in the middle of the ocean, and when you get this, like some of you, you're wrestling with your relationship with Jesus. When you get this, the, the love of God just kind of blows you away. You're like, whoa, like, like it's amazing. 
And so you're out in the middle of the ocean and Jesus rescues you and you're just like clinging on to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, you're the best and this was terrifying and I'm so glad you saved me and this is amazing. Being with Jesus is normally the easy part. I use that word relatively because we drift anyway. But the being with Jesus is compelling because of who he is and what he's done for us. The becoming like Jesus part gets a little more tricky because change is difficult. So if Jesus is the one that saves us and he's the one that changes us, the question that you and I have to wrestle with is how do we change? In the words of Paul, look at this, 2 Corinthians 3. He says it this way, we all as followers of Jesus with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, speaking of of our relationship with Jesus, we are being transformed. The Greek word there is metamorpho, literally like where we get the word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. We are being transformed into that same image. I love this, from one degree of glory to another, meaning change is not overnight. You can't microwave character here. We're talking about one degree to another change over time, for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit, the trolling motor on your subboard. It comes together. It's all right, right? So being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, the language that we're talking about of how we change when it comes to like following Jesus is called spiritual formation. Here's how Dallas Willard talks about it. He says, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Spiritual formation, becoming like Jesus. So here's the deal. We're all being formed. We're all being shaped. We're all becoming someone. The question I want you to wrestle with today is who am I becoming? Fast forward the track of your life currently, 10, 20 years down the road, and where is the arc of your character taking you? Who am I becoming. And a lot of us, we wake up in in this kind of swell of life, and we kind of let life happen to us, and so we're drifting, and it's not intentional. It's what we call unintentional spiritual formation here at City Church. We talked about it earlier in the year. And so the, the, the thing you have to do to be unintentionally formed is just wake up in the morning. Every morning you wake up, and without intentional effort, you are becoming someone, whether you want to or not. The things around you, the life that you live, the people around you, the habits that you have, the things that you consume information-wise, they are forming you, whether you want them to or not. And so for you and I, we're wrestling with this question, who are we becoming? And in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to be in chapters 9 and 10 today, and they are wrestling with a similar realization. They, they kind of had this moment of realizing they were on their subboards drifting away from God's plan, and there's some coconuts on the beach, and they're like, oh no, let's get back to the coconuts. And they had this whole thing of like kind of this revitalization moment in chapter 8 that we talked about last week, and they're really pumped about it. But it occurred to the leaders in that moment that they were, they were going to have to make some practical changes in order to actually see progress. That the, moment, the momentum of like getting excited about Jesus, of choosing to trust him one day, of like a high from a, you know, a song that really moves you at church, or like one little verse that really challenged you. Like that momentum won't carry you. It's not enough to keep us from slipping back into or drifting with the currents of the water that we're in. And for them, they had been in spiritual lethargy for decades. And they're kind of having this wake-up moment, but they realize that, that if they don't do something different, nothing's actually going to change. 
they needed some coconuts on the beach, if you will, right? And so Nehemiah 9 and 10 are interesting because we're actually going to see the very same paradigm that we introduced earlier this year of spiritual formation in Nehemiah chapter 9. And so let me show you. You can go there in your, in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. So Nehemiah chapter 9, they had just finished building the wall. They kind of had this moment of realizing how amazing God was. And so now the Israelites are gathering together. They're fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of, of Israelite descent had separated themselves from foreigners. They stood in their places. They confessed their sins, excuse me, and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. So they're having this realization moment. There were coconuts on the beach the whole time, and they had just not been paying attention to them. So they've drifted a long, long way from God's plans and purposes for their life. You guys following my analogy here? So now they're coming back. I want you to notice a couple of things. Together, there's, there's a plurality effort here. They're, they're realigning themselves with the scriptures as authority. They're not setting their own co- coconuts and kind of building their own little preference of where they think they should be on the shoreline. God, where did you put the coconuts? What's the standard? They're realigning. They're kind of uh, having this moment of, of, wow, God, we missed the mark. And then it, 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 they go on, and verses 5 through 32 is a giant chunk of them kind of reviewing all that God has done. Just like, wow, look at all the amazing things that God has done. Look, like, oh, amazing. Kind of like what we just did. Like, wow, look at all that Jesus has done in our place for our sin. It's amazing. And then in verse 33, here's what they say. And all that has happened to us, God, you, you, you've remained righteous You've acted faithfully. We just sung that song. You've been so good. Man, we've, we've acted wickedly. We're, we're not even close to where you want us to be. And then in verse 38, here's how they kind of determined to set some coconuts on the beach. In view of all of this, we, together, us, plural, are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. It's official. So, so Nehemiah, his governing council here, again, they're kind of rebuilding the city. A lot of progress has been made, but they were wise enough in this moment to recognize that time has this weird way of eroding our initial passions and desires, even if the good intentions are there for spiritual breakthrough. And so what do they do? They develop a covenant that they're going to agree to together, one coconut on the beach of scripture as authority and God's preferences. They put another coconut on the, on the beach of, of kind of grounding it in practice. We're going to actually do the things that we're talking about in order to see change. And again, then they, there's also this commitment to community. We're going to do this together. So the question that you and I have as followers of Jesus is like, what are our coconuts? Like, what are the coconuts that we're after? Kind of what's our bearing when we look up on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and a Sunday? And how do we kind of recenter and, and make progress in this life of not just keeping things together and staying afloat, but becoming more like Jesus inside out. So before I give you the spiritual paradigm, I just want to remind you in kind of our Western intellectual individualized world that we live in, we we think information alone leads to transformation. So, so, So maybe an assumption that you grew up with is the more Bible that you know, the more you like Jesus. So read the Bible more, go to church a little bit, be a good person, and just it's going to naturally work. And, and there's this kind of false assumption in our minds that my, my character 
is gonna be directly correlated to how much Bible I know, just information, and don't get me wrong, it's really important, we'll talk about it, but you and I both know that information alone is not enough to lead for transformation, and that's why we still eat things that aren't good for us, (laughs) even though the information on the back of that package is there. It's why we binge watch even though we know we shouldn't, because we need sleep, but we choose the latter, right? Information alone doesn't lead to transformation. So what do we do? There's a paradigm that we introduced a couple of uh, months ago called intentional spiritual formation. Not letting life happen to us, but being intentional about becoming the people that God has created us to be. And there's a couple of different things I'm going to give you. And this is, this is a little bit of a revisit for some. This is brand new for others of you. So this is like a 30,000 foot view today. But you're going to walk away with the tools today to actually experience the transformation that you're after. And here's the deal. Some of you have ideas of what, what things you want to change. And some of us might even disagree with what should change when it comes to like God's standards. You're like, okay, here's what I want to change. God, I don't know about that thing yet. But here's the amazing thing. If God is really good and he's really for us, then there's also alignment that happens of wanting what he wants for us. And so intentional spiritual formation is putting ourselves in a place to experience the change that we're after. So the first one is teaching. One of the first things that informs our transformation inside out is teaching, meaning, listen, information is important. It's just not enough by itself. But there is a really important reality that we get the truth into our heads and into our hearts. That's when it comes out in our hands in an authentic and truthful way. Jesus is casting a vision for the good life. And it's so good that we want it. And the goal every weekend when we gather is that we are compelled to want what it is that Jesus is putting in front of us. Even if it's challenging, even if it's difficult, even if it means rowing a little harder, even if it means a little bit extra effort, there's something inside of us that wants what Jesus has for us. And here's why this matters. This is not just primarily what we do on a Sunday. This is when we pick up the scriptures daily in time with Jesus. This is when we pick up a book on a specific area to grow like emotionally healthy spirituality or fields of gold or the road back to you. There's these different books, there's these different teachings, and what do they do? They get into our heads a picture of the good life that we desire because what we love, we begin to chase after. And why this is important is because it begins to counter the stories that we hear. There is a machine that you live in every day pouring a story of what it means to be human that is not necessarily in alignment with the God who loves you. And so your Instagram reels and your email feeds, feeds, you don't have feeds, your email inbox, which I know you don't get into, and still got like 1,000, 10,000, whatever you got unread in there. But all of these different sources, the podcasts that you listen to, not necessarily all wrong or bad, don't get me wrong, but there is a story that we must pull up against the truth. And so that's the goal of a weekend, to give you a vision for a life that God has set in front of us. When we spend time with, daily in, in the scriptures with Jesus, when you go to a city group and you, and you, and you function around that. So again, teaching is a, is a big part of going against the lies that we are tempted to believe, consciously, subconsciously, and to rewire our vision for the good life. Number two is practice. This is how we counter the habits that are just kind of, kind of naturally inside of us. I heard it said, I don't remember who it was, uh, um, but, but if every Jesus follower, it's probably Andy Stanley, if every Jesus follower in America put into practice like a fraction of what they already know about following Jesus, the world would be a better place. 
Like literally, that salt and light thing we talked about last week, the world would be massively different if we put into practice a fraction of the things that we know. Practice is a big part of who we are becoming. It's why our city groups, by the way, are not primarily centered, they're not Bible studies, they're not centered on information, because quite frankly, we have more information than we know what to do with. We're information saturated, and we're practice deficient. But if we want to see change, we've got to actually put it into practice. Jesus assumes in his invitation to follow him, practice over a lifetime. Transformation, what, by one degree to another, as in it doesn't happen overnight. You're in this thing for the long haul to become the people that we want to be, that Jesus has created us to be. It is a lot more than knowing the right stuff. My, my son Grayson, he's six years old, and he's... Um, really interested in basketball right now. Um, and I haven't broke it to him yet that he's probably never going to be like taller than 5'8", right? So it's not looking good for him, but he's really into it now. And, you know, one of the goals is I'm trying to identify like what, what are his passion points? I mean, he's six years old, so I'm just trying to watch. And as soon as he's interested in something, we'll begin to engage it, let him flesh it out. And right now he's, he's really digging basketball and we'll see where that goes. Um, so my backup plan is guitar, right? Like is, you know, if basketball is not his thing, it's not going to work out, then, then guitar is also in kind of like my back because I got a little bit in me that I could teach him, but then he can be way better than me and I can live vicariously through him. Oh, yeah. It's a, so so here, here's the deal. Uh, one of my favorite guitarists on the planet is Brad Paisley. You can judge me. He's a, a country artist, but his, his guitar solos are like face melting. I mean, they're just amazing. Um, and, and, and so I've always wanted to be able to like chicken pick and just you know shred a guitar and your fingers are bleeding after. I've always wanted to do that. I can't. I'm just not that good. But he can. But here's the deal. I can't go to Grayson. Let's just say he picks up the guitar in a year and he's practicing for a year and I make him practice every day for 30 minutes. But then at the end of a year, I'm like, all right, dude, this solo right now, let's go all of it. And he's like, I'm not there, Dad. I can't. And I'm like, no, you can do it. Just try harder. And, and no matter how much he tries, without enough practice and time, duration, he's not going to be at the level of a Brad Paisley goddess, goddess, god, demigod, whatever. You, you know what I'm saying. He's not going to be there. Even right, what I, what, what I could pray over him. God, please give him supernatural fingers. And he, maybe in a moment he have a miracle, but he have to have a miracle every time. You see, faith is not opposed to training but trying. We're not talking about like trying to be a good person so that God likes you, but we are committed to training of becoming. And so here's the deal. When it comes to the things that you want to see develop, you want to be, if you want to live a life without worry, a life free of anxiety, you want to overcome depression and greed and lust and envy and anger and impatience and whatever else you want to stick in there that's a character deficiency in you, you might not be the person that can live free from that today, but with practice you can become that kind of person. It takes time, and it takes effort, it takes practice. So the spiritual disciplines, weekend gatherings, silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath, groups, living on mission, they're all forming us intentionally. Our practices rewire our heart, mind, and soul. They change our loves and our longings. You can't separate the two. The last thing is community. And this one might be the hardest for kind of the individualized Western space that we live in. Um, and as we go into this one, I'm going to invite Kari to come and play. Um, but for community, 
It's different than relationships. Relationships you pick, or at least you, you know, probably that's like your, your, your people. Community is a conscious decision to live into a wider context of people that love Jesus and love you. Some of them you pick, some of them you tolerate, but because they're a part of God's family, you just kind of, you got them along with you, or maybe they got you depending on which side of the coin we're on. But you and I make, have to make a conscious decision to follow Jesus alongside others. There is no following Jesus alone. There is no apprenticing under Jesus separate from community that we see in his invitation. And so change and transformation, they only happen within the context of community. And here's why I'll give you two words to help you understand why we value city groups, why we value community so much. It's because, number one, community provides an opportunity for exposure. I've been doing a lot of marriage counseling lately, and, and I've been reminding a lot of people like, hey, people don't get married and have marriage problems. They both had problems that they, they, they then brought into a home. And so Will and Nate just got married uh, uh, like two months ago, and they're, they're amazing. We're so excited for them. And, and what we knew going in is that Nate is amazing and perfect, and Will is just absolutely dysfunctional. And so, so when they started living life together, I'm joking, uh, um, they're both dysfunctional. And so they get, they get in life together. All of a sudden, they have this glaring mirror that they get to look at every day, this loving gift of God that reveals and points out all of their brokenness and all of their insecurity, not by pointing fingers, but by, just by realizing I have this other person that is now exposing my true self. We don't become worse people when we get married. We just begin to realize all of the things that were already inside of us. We have someone showing us. Community is a similar function. There are people around you who love Jesus and love you deeply enough to carry the space of what Jesus brought, which is like this grace and truth dynamic. They're not going to be soft and like let you hear everything you need to hear or you want to hear. They're not going to avoid the truth, but also not going to hit you with it like a hammer. Community brings out the best and the worst in us, and we need to surround ourselves with people who are going to point us to Jesus, standing on the shore with coconuts. That's where we're after, man. Exposure. But it doesn't stop there because it also means encouragement. Encouragement is when the people around you say, I'm with you. That right there, that's not good for you. That right there, that's not who you are. But I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. I know change is hard, but I'm committed to walking with you through this. That's community. We don't change outside of community. So one of the goals of city groups is the structure, the function, is not information dump, but practice and accountability. Are we doing the things that we know lead to transformation and change? And the last thing, I don't want you to miss this, is it's all saturated in the environment of the Holy Spirit. I told you, all you have to do to be discipled by the world around you is wake up tomorrow. But to experience intentional spiritual formation, Jesus has given us this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about it like walking in the Spirit, this relationship daily, this dominant reality of practicing, practicing the presence and power of God throughout our day. So we don't just experience God when we gather or when I open the scriptures and read, but throughout my day and every meeting, every interaction, at work, at home, with my hobbies, there's an entire centeredness in my relationship with God. And I don't want you to miss this. The people of, uh, in Nehemiah were absolutely familiar with this reality. Let me show you Ezekiel chapter 36. Here's the promise that they realized they had moved away from. God said, I will give you a new heart. 
I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, from you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. We just sang a song. All your promises. This is one of those promises we cling to. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You're going to want the coconuts. So this is still an overtime practice. With Amazon and Instacart and click and pull and all that stuff, you still can't microwave character. It's more like a tree that has to grow over decades. And you can become not only the person you want to become, but there's a vision bigger than even our own of who God has made you to be. And some of that includes kind of the hard knocks of life, that that this journey with Jesus is not easy. The waves don't calm down. The pool doesn't stop. And so you and I have the chance to press in even when it's hard and let those things shape us into his image. Or if we're not careful, we let the hard things unshape us and we drift even further. And we live in a world that loves the idea of just kind of escaping the hard stuff. And it's the bottle, and it's the video game, and it's Netflix, and it's messing around, and it's more toys and more stuff, and it's all these things we do to distract ourselves into oblivion and not feel the drift. My encouragement for you today is don't run away from the hard stuff. Run to Jesus in the hard stuff. So how do we change? It was right there. Practice, community teaching that reshapes and rewires us. Here's the big idea for today. Transformation is not inevitable. It's intentional. And we are committed to walking with you in the intentional process of spiritual formation. Not just for you, but because every relationship you're in contact with in the world around you will benefit from Jesus producing in and through you his character, his fruit. So a couple of questions for you as we wrap up our time. Number one, have you, have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Have you, has there ever been a moment in your life where you trusted Jesus? You kind of realize that you've been drifting and you're out in this ocean and need rescue. And Jesus' amazing invitation is just to call out for help. And as at 15 years old, Jesus changed my life. I was familiar with my brokenness. I didn't know there was a God who loved me and who made a way to free me from that put some coconuts on the beach, gave me the power to actually get there. Number two, are you, you know, committed to your coconuts, right? Like, are you willing to let Jesus set the standard for your life rather than yourself? Are we going to let Scripture dictate truth versus lies? Are we going to let community influence how we live? Are we going to practice the things in front of us? And the last, probably bigger question you're going to wrestle with throughout the week is, who am I becoming? Maybe just take a kind of little litmus test over the summer. It's been three months. We're almost in August. Who am I becoming? I think it's Dallas Willard that said that without God, we can't, but without us, he won't. And so the beautiful invitation today is that change is 
It's not inevitable, but it is intentional. And Jesus makes a way. Let me pray for you. You bow your heads and close your eyes with me as you kind of take a moment of privacy. We're just going to move into a time of response. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, you don't have to worry about people looking around. You can just focus on what's going on internally. Maybe you're in the room today and um, maybe for the first time the love of God is gripping you, overwhelming you. And you realize, man, I, I don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. I've never trusted in Jesus to save me and set me free. I don't have the Holy Spirit's power in my life to live in the way that he's created me to. And if that's you in your heart and mind today, I want you to know with confidence you can pray right now. You can cry out for help in your own heart and mind and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Help. And with joy and with love and with grace and with forgiveness, he meets you in that space. He makes you completely new. And he invites you to follow him and become like him. And I want you to know if you're making that decision today for the first time, heaven is rejoicing as you say yes to Jesus and we want to as well. And so if you let us know on that connection card, we'd love to celebrate with you and help you take some next steps. Maybe you're in the room and uh, God has just put on your heart some, some areas that, that need commitment around teaching or community or practice or all of it, if you're like me. <laughs> so no matter where you are, I just want to give you some time and space to ask Jesus for help, to kind of find your bearings and say, man, I want to stay and I want to move forward in what you have for me. So Father, as we, uh, as we respond in worship, as we take communion, as we take the next couple of minutes together, um, would you move us, not, not, not just in information in our heads, but would you take that vision of the good life, would you move it down deep into our hearts, and would it, would it, would it move us to action? Would we commit to community? Would, would we show up in, in, in kind of a vulnerable space and lead the way in becoming like you? Would we share this love with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers by the way that we love, by the way that we serve, by sharing our story, by inviting to uh, the community night and, and, and to the block party and to our kitchen table? God, the things that are out of alignment, the things that we're just struggling to, to see form a habit, God, would you give us the power and the ability in the community around us to see change in our practices? Whatever you want to do, Father, we, we want to open our hearts and minds to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.